Amen. Direct your attention this morning to the second epistle to Timothy, chapter 4, and verse 16. 2 Timothy 4, 16. Paul is concluding some of his personal instructions to Timothy. He says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it might not be laid to their charge. Uh, we've been studying this, this book of 2 Timothy for some time now, over the last two years really off and on, and as we get to the end of this book, we'll remind you that Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and here he says that he had a chance to defend himself. He got at his first answer, that would be a verbal defense that he would have to speak before the judicial authorities in Rome to defend himself. And he says, at, the, at my first answer or my first defense, no man stood with me. You remember he said in, I believe it was the 15th verse of chapter 1, that all that would have been in Asia had forsaken him. A few weeks ago, we looked at verse 11, where he said, only Luke is with me. And he was asking Timothy to bring Mark to him. And now he says when he had a chance to defend himself before the authorities, there was no one that stood with him. He says, but all men forsook me. All of them. There was, there was none that came to his defense. There was none that came as a, a character witness for him. You know, if, if one of you were having to defend yourself, I think a lot of us would would try to come into the courtroom as just even as just a character witness or support, right? Depending on what y'all do. <laughs> um, but I think most of us would, would support each other here in this church. But here's Paul, and as he has his chance to defend himself, he says, all men forsook me. They left me helpless is what he's saying. He says, I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge that God would not hold that against them. What an attitude this man had. The type of attitude we all need to have in the church that although others may disappoint us, we forgive them and we pray to God for them. That would be a great attitude for all of us to have. But as we think about this verse this morning, I want to I look at the weakness of our faith. Now, I go ahead and say that that's probably not the most popular subject in the world, and I don't know that I like to think about it, but I think we can see in verse 16 the weakness of our faith. If you think about faith, faith is a deep subject. There could be books written on the subject of faith. There are books written on the subjects of faith or the subject of faith. There's been many sermons on faith. Faith is a very deep topic within the Bible. We, we understand that faith, first and foremost, is a, is a grace. It's given to us by grace. It's a gift of God. Paul would say, for you're saved, by, uh, through, uh, you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's, um, faith is given to us in the new birth. If you look at um, Galatians 5, and this is really foundational doctrine to the church. If you look at Galatians 5, you'll see... The fruit of the Spirit, or, the, or that's the byproducts of the Spirit, that 
These are things that, that exude from someone that has the Spirit of God living within them. You'll see things like temperance, long-suffering, joy, love. And one of them listed is faith. That faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Meaning that, if someone, meaning that it takes someone having the Spirit within them to exhibit faith or to have faith. It's a gift of God. See, there's really two ways to look at this and two ways in Christianity that usually this is, this is seen is, number one, many would say that you need to exercise faith to get the Spirit. But on the flip side, the, the Bible really teaches that you must have the Spirit to exercise faith. It's the exact opposite of what is taught often in Christianity. So what is faith? I wrote down the definition of faith from the Webster's 1828 dictionary. It says that faith is, is belief, confidence, or trust in God's character and declarations and in the character and doctrines of Christ with an unreserved surrender to the will, to his guidance, and dependence on his merits for salvation. He said, in other words, that firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will and leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. So in that definition, and we could, we could nitpick that definition, but first and foremost, faith is, when you say active faith, it's a belief, a confidence, or a trust in God's character, who God is, what God said, a, a trust and reliance on God. See, belief is actually the, um, uh, it, belief is the, is the activation of faith. See, it takes faith, God imparting faith to you, the gift of faith, before you can actually ever believe on Christ, before you can actually believe the gospel. But it is, it is, faith is the means by which we lay hold on the grace that we already have. Isn't that amazing? That faith... Um, that the gift that God gives us of, of faith and the, the activity of our faith or our active faith is how we lay hold on, on salvation. Not, not that how we merit salvation, that comes directly from God himself, but how we enjoy salvation, how we understand salvation, how we draw peace from the salvation we already have is through faith. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith, there's that word again, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. He said it is by faith that we are justified. Now, listen, when it comes to our standing as sinners before God, we're not justified by our act of faith or our act of belief. We were justified by Christ on the cross. It was the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that justified us in the eyes of God in heaven for all eternity. But yet many people who have been justified in the, what we might call the courtroom of heaven still feel as if they're at, they're, they're at variance with God here in time. And they need to see you can be justified in heaven but not feel like you're justified on earth. You can be justified in the mind of God, but not feel like you're justified in your own mind. And so faith, this gift that God gives us of faith, when it is exercised, it lays hold on what Christ did for you on the cross, and it, 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 it unshackles the chains that, 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 that burden our minds 
thinking that we're not good enough, thinking that there's no way it could be us, thinking that there's no way we could appease God. When you, when you, when you simply, when you get rid of all uh, looking to your works or looking to your ability or looking to anything you've done and simply place your faith in Christ, you experience a peace that passes all understanding. Now that doesn't merit your salvation with God, but it sure opens up a life of freedom here on earth. And that's what Paul is saying there, that faith is, is your access point into the grace. Listen, he says the grace wherein we now stand. You notice that they were already standing in grace. Now there's no one that will be condemned that's already standing in grace, but there are many people that are standing in grace, but they haven't tapped into that grace and the benefits that flow from understanding what Christ has done. And that's what faith does for us. It, it, we experience the grace that Christ has bestowed upon us through faith. We experience that here in life. Faith, um, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is the often called the hall of faith, um, it's a chapter all about faith. Paul would say, now faith, speaking of this, this gift of faith, this exercise of faith, this, uh, this grace of faith that, that God has given us, he says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He says first and foremost that faith, see, faith is not a wish. Faith is an assurance. Faith is, thank you, Brother Mark. He said faith is an assurance. I like that. So I, I shouldn't have said, did y'all hear him say that? Y'all would have thought I thought of that. <laughs> faith is not a wish. There's, there's more to faith than just wishing that happen. He says faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means it's the substructure. When you have things that you hope for, like your salvation, like um, let's take that for instance, it's not just a wish that you have. It's actually resting on something, and that is faith. There's a substance there. That, that your faith rests upon, or that your hope rests upon, and that's faith, the gift that God has given you. He says the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the evidence of things that we don't even see. He goes on in the third verse there to say, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You know, I believe it's amazing uh, to me, that in Genesis chapter 1, God opens up his book with a test of faith. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Are you going to believe it or not? And he, and he almost goes out of his way, almost out of his way, to, uh, to stress that it was, it was created in six literal days. And he's almost like he's saying, are you going to believe it or not? <laughs> There's almost, there's nowhere else really in the Bible that we look at the word day and we think, well, could that mean millions of billions of years? Other than Genesis 1, people do that. It's a test of your faith. God opens his book with a test of your faith. And so if you read Genesis 1 and you believe it for what it says and you take God at his word, well, that's, listen, that doesn't mean you're smarter than somebody else. That means that you're using the faith God gave you to believe it. I don't understand how a man was in the belly of a well for three days and three nights and then was spit up on dry land and lived. And listen to the scientific community out there. They say there's no way that would happen. He would have died within the belly of the well. Well, I don't know how it happened either. 
But God gave me faith and I believe it. <laughs> I don't know how the, the waters parted so that a million people could walk across dry land and then they enclosed an Egyptian army and killed them. I don't know how that happened. But God said it and I believe it. Um, there's a lot of things in the Bible that I don't know how they happened. This is, this is one thing we need to understand about the Bible. It's not a science book. It doesn't explain to you how things happen. See, you gotta have you gotta come to the Bible, you gotta come to Genesis chapter one with faith. If you don't use the faith God gave you in reading the Bible, the Bible will be nothing, it'll be it'll be no benefit to you. See, God, God didn't here's something about God. God doesn't have to explain himself to us. <laughs> Do y'all agree with that? I, I think of Brother Sonny Piles. He would he would say, if you don't like the way God did it, you create your own universe and do it the way you want to. <laughs> well, none of us can, can we? So God opens up uh, his Bible, uh, his very book, Genesis chapter 1. And he doesn't say, this is how I did it. He just says, in the beginning, God. This is, how, this, is, this is what I did, not how I did it. And you know, if you get to debating Genesis 1 or, or the story of Jonah, or how did, you know, how was there a global flood? Well, I mean, I know how there was, but was there one? You know, a lot of people debate, was there really a global flood? Many in Christianity don't believe that anymore. They say that couldn't have been. Maybe it was just local. No, I believe it was global <laughs> to the tops of the mountains. So what about y'all? <laughs> because if, if you start thinking, well, maybe a day in Genesis 1 doesn't mean a day, or maybe when the Bible says that the whole earth was flooded, it just really meant there was a local flood, or maybe when it says that Jonah was in the belly of this great fish, maybe that was just some kind of symbolism for something else, then, 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 then maybe Jesus really didn't do what he said he did. See, it's all an attack on God's word, and we need our faith. See, faith is the, faith is the means by which we lay hold on God's promises, Faith is the means by which we do great things. Go read Hebrews 11 tonight, and you'll see that Sarah did great things through faith. Noah did great things through faith. Abraham did great things through faith. Uh, Moses did great things through faith. His parents hid him from the most powerful army in the world. How did they get the strength to do that? Through faith. Faith is the means by which we keep going. Faith is the means by which we keep carrying on. Faith is the means by which when we face persecution, we face distress, we face depression, we face despair, we keep going because we press into our faith. Baptists of old used to, drawing from uh, Colossians 1 and I believe it's verse 27, they would define faith as, I like this now, they would define faith as Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you read Hebrews 11 with the definition of faith being Christ in you, it really opens up that whole chapter. When you read, let's just take verse 8 where it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. How did Abraham do that? By Christ in Abraham. <laughs> Think about that. By the power of Christ in Abraham, he was called to go out into a place that he should have to receive for an inheritance, and he obeyed and went out. <laughs> not knowing where he went. How can, how can we do these great things that God calls us to do? It's through the power of God within us. That's what faith truly is. It's how we please God. He said in the sixth verse, without faith it is impossible to please him. Listen to what he says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, and that he is a rewarder of them 
that diligently seek him. I bet there's not many of us in the house today that would not agree that God is. He exists. He's there. He is. He's the great I am. But many of us struggle with the second portion of that verse that says he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we find ourselves seeking the things of the world versus the things of God, when we find ourselves at the end of the day and we haven't taken time to pray, we haven't taken time to read, we haven't taken time to think about God, maybe listen to a sermon, we might talk about some of those in a little bit, some of those things we can do. When we, get, when, we, when we get to the end of the day and we find that we haven't sought out time with God or sought God in our lives, it's because we lack faith. Because faith believes that he is and faith believes that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, when our faith is lacking, we say there's no sense in really seeking God because what good will it do anyways? But the Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. All right, so I'm going to go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And now that we've defined what faith is, it's a gift of God. It's the way, it's literally the power of God within us. We have to remember that the best of men are what? They're men. <laughs> the, the best of men are simply Men, they're fallen creatures. Um, even the most faithful, zealous, productive people in the kingdom of God are capable of being faithless creatures. Matter of fact, Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy a letter to try to build up his faith. He begins the letter by saying, God has not given us a spirit of what? Y'all remember? Of fear. And oftentimes fear comes into our lives when there's an absence of faith. When faith goes away, fear invades the space that faith used to occupy. And so he's writing a letter to Timothy to say, I want to encourage your faith. So we see that first and foremost, even Timothy was subject to become timid, cowardly, fearful, a lack of faith. But not only that, he says, at my first answer, back to verse 16, at my first answer, at my first defense, he says, no man stood with me, but all forsook me. All had left me faithless. And you say, well, Timothy was, you know, he was at Ephesus. He was, he, he was in Ephesus. He was um, ministering. He couldn't leave. And we know Demas had forsaken him. He'd loved this present world. Um, Titus uh, had gone to Galatia, or, or Titus, excuse me, to Dalmatia, um, Crescens to Galatia. There was a lot going on in this time. The gospel had to go forward. The kingdom had to advance, right? So there was a lot of people that couldn't be there to defend him. But yet, we forget that there was an entire church in Rome, right? Matter of fact, a church that was so mature that really the greatest theological document that's ever been written was written to this church, the book of Romans, right? How, 
How many of you understand everything in the book of Romans? You know, even, even Paul himself gets to writing in the book of Romans, and at, at the verse of 11, uh, excuse me, at the end of chapter 11, he says, I'm going to paraphrase, but he says, how great are God's ways above what I can even understand? <laughs> Peter wrote in one of his epistles, he said, talking about our beloved brother Paul, he said he writes things that are hard to be understood. <laughs> and he was probably referring to the book of Romans. Many people have been confused by the book of Romans. Many people, you know, outside of Revelation, there's, there's things in there that, that people do not understand or deep matters. But Paul wrote that letter to the church in the city where he was now trying to defend himself. And I want to, I want to read one thing to you from the book of Romans where Paul begins his letter to them uh, in the first chapter. He writes to all those that are at Rome. And in verse 8, listen to what he says. When he's writing Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He's thanking God for this church. And why is he thanking God for this church? He says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He says, they are, you, this church is known for their faith. Wouldn't y'all like to be a church that is known? Vestavia's faith. You, you can go to California, New York. <laughs> you go to a church meeting in uh, Nebraska, and you're going to hear people talking about that great church in Birmingham, Alabama that's full of faith. Wouldn't y'all like to be that kind of church? He says, that's that kind of church. And yet time passes, and he says, not one member, not the elder, not the deacon, <laughs> Not the, the youngest church member, the oldest church member. He says, not one of them even came to my defense when I was in Rome. I think verse 16 is a sober call to all of us that our faith can, go, can grow weak very quickly. You would think at least one of them could have defended Paul. At least one of them could have showed up to support Paul. But yet when they were faced with, am I going to wind up like Paul? Am I going to be persecuted like Paul? Not one of them shows up. See, faith is a perfect gift from God, but it is in earthen vessels that are imperfect. And I think it's very important for all of us to understand that our faith can grow very weak. Y'all remember Acts chapter 12? We studied it a few, a few months ago. Here's the church in prayer. Peter's in prison. James has been beheaded, and they're praying, God, will you release Peter to us? And God miraculously does it. He sends his angels. There's something like 16 soldiers that are guarding Peter, and, and the angel says, Peter, put on your shoes, and let's get out of here. And Peter does it, and the gate opens, and he goes to the house where the church is praying. And, and the damsel Rhoda answers there, comes to the door, and she hears Peter. She's so excited, she runs back to where the prayer meeting's taking place, and she says, Peter's at the front door. And they say, no, he's not. <laughs> Here's a group of people who are praying. They're, they are gathered together in prayer, an act of faith to God, but yet their faith is very weak. You say, well, that was just the, that was just the early church. Peter wasn't with them. You know, uh, James had been beheaded. He wasn't with them anymore. The other the apostles weren't there. Well, I read in Matthew chapter 28 as, as, as God is going to give the great commission, as it's called, to his apostles. He's going to commission the eleven. 
Now, if there was ever an elite group of disciples, you've got to say it's the 11 that had followed Christ for three and a half years, that walked with him, talked with him, learned from him, and now they've seen him resurrected, and he's going back into heaven. And, and in Matthew 28 and verse 16, it says, Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Jesus had said, I want you to be here in this mountain to meet with me. And they had the faith to go. They had the courage to go. And when Christ saw them, they worshipped him. They fell down to worship him. But there's a semicolon, and it says, But some doubted. So here in Acts 12, we've got the church in prayer, and they're doubting. Here we've got the 11 apostles in worship, with Christ present with them, and yet they are doubting. Do y'all think we're going to be a lot more faithful than them? No. Thomas, in the book of John, let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, Jesus is going to present himself after his resurrection to his disciples. Verse 19, it says, Then the, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Here's our loving God that finds his disciples fearful. And he comes to them and he says, don't be fearful. Peace unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And I'll say this. If you're down and out about something in your life, you need to seek the Lord. Because when you see the Lord, it makes all the troubles that you may be facing in this life, just melt away, even if for a moment. And here's a scared group of disciples, but they become glad when they see the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I. He is, he is literally, if you look into the, the, the Greek word used there for send, he is apostling them. He is sending them out to be apostles. This is, this is the... This is the ordination service of the 11 to go out and be the foundational level, building on what Christ has done for his church. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And I'll grant you that's an interesting verse of Scripture. Many opinions on what that means, but... I'll say this, I believe Christ was granting them the apostolic authority to go out and build upon his church that he had created. It's not, not an authority that we have today, but it was to these 11. And he says in verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see his hands in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What a great statement from Thomas that's followed Jesus 
for again three and a half years and he says unless I can put my hand into the side that was pierced I won't believe any of you all ten of you I won't believe you unless I can see him and it says in verse 26 and after eight days again his disciples were within I believe probably after eight days they had grown fearful once again and um, see, that's how, that's how we need the Lord daily. It's because now they have grown, I believe, probably grown fearful again. And Thomas was with them. So Thomas is now with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now Thomas is with them now. And I, I believe this also. I, I believe the main reason that Jesus came back eight days later is because Thomas was with them now and he was going to come to Thomas. You know, one thing... Um, one thing that the Lord knows is he understands our weakness better than we do. I want to read to you from Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. It says, like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. He knows our weakness better than we do. And so he comes to the house where they are, and he says to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. He says, I want you to be full of faith. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. <laughs> and Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. He was honest with Thomas. He said, it took me coming back over here for you to believe me. But he says, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. He says, the ones that will truly be blessed, the ones that will truly be filled with peace, the ones who will truly experience the blessings from above are those that will not see me, that will not see my scarred hands, that will not thrust their hand into my pierced side, but those who will come after you, after I am back in heaven, and they will not see me with their eyes, but yet they believe. And so I want to ask you today, how is it that we have never seen Jesus in his body, how is it that we can believe on him? He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've never seen Jesus in his body. He's never come to me. Um, I don't know anybody that's ever seen Jesus in his body. Maybe you have. I don't know. I'm not going to say you haven't, but I never have. I remember when I was a college student, I believe the Lord was working on me, and I first had my real thoughts about, you know, I just knew there was a God, but there was, you know, there's so much, there's so much atheism in this world. There's so much, I mean, it's just, <laughs> and I had a little, um, my grandparents had given me this, this little man made out of horseshoes. 
and he was playing a guitar, and it was on my desk, and, and I was, you know, I was, I was, I guess, it wouldn't be a crisis of faith, but I was trying to figure out what I believe, and I said, God, if you're real, will you move that statue? And I sat there and sat there, and he never did. And I've often thought, what if that thing would have just flown through the room? <laughs> what would I have done? <laughs> but he didn't. But, you know, I, I began to think, even though he did, first of all, see, God doesn't have to answer me. We got a son that comes up every morning like clockwork. That's enough answer, isn't it? We got seasons that come and go and come and go and come and go and a God that told us that'll happen until the world ends. I don't, he doesn't need to move a statue. He doesn't need to show me great things because he's already shown me great things. And on top of that, he put faith in my heart. So even though it didn't move, I still sat there thinking, I believe there's a God. <laughs> and how, and I believe I've been blessed through that. I believe I've been blessed today as my faith has grown more and more. And although it's very weak at times, I believe I, believe I can lay hold on this promise that, that, that Jesus gave to Thomas, that I've been blessed. Um, I, I, have been, I have been blessed even maybe among, above him because I've never seen Christ in his body. But yet I believe it just like Mark is sitting there. What about you all? And the only way that's possible is because he has imparted faith into my heart. And so I, if I get nothing else across to you today, I'm, I'm going to close with this. I want us all to understand that we are all susceptible to the kind of weakness that we saw on, when the apostles were doubting, when the church was praying but yet not believing, and when Thomas was hearing from the ten Apostles that had walked with him and yet said, I will not believe unless I see him. We're all susceptible to that. I won't, I won't turn there, but read Mark chapter 9 tonight. That's Hebrews 11 tonight. That's Mark chapter 9 tonight. <laughs> Don't y'all love a teacher that gives you homework? <laughs> I used to think, why can't they just get it all done during the day so I can play when I get home? Why do I need homework? <laughs> Well, maybe I should preach better. I'm giving you homework. <laughs> but there won't be a test until next Sunday. <laughs> Mark chapter 9, there's a boy who is tormented by this evil spirit. And, and his father comes to Jesus with him. And he says, Master, my son is tormented. And he's foaming at the mouth and he's He's wailing on the floor. He's pining away. And he says, I, I'm bringing him to you. Which is a great example to us of what we should do with our problems is bring him to Jesus. And he says, I brought him to your disciples. And I asked them to heal him, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? Jesus asked him, he says, how... How long has this been happening? And he says, it's been happening since he was a little boy. He says, oftentimes he'll throw himself into the fire. Sometimes he'll throw himself in the water. Can you imagine what this father was going through? I'll have to go rescue him. He says, and he says to him, I'm paraphrasing now, but he says, I know if you, can, if you, if you will, you can, God. I know you can, if you will. And Jesus says to him, 
You just need to believe. All things are possible if you believe. And the father, it says straightway, when the father heard that, he cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. How many of y'all have been in that situation? Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You know, we must come to terms with the weakness of our faith so that we can, like that man, rely on the strength of Christ to get us through. Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And I believe just like Thomas here in John chapter 20. See, God loves us enough. God loved Thomas enough. He could have gone back to heaven and never seen Thomas. He loved Thomas enough that eight days later he came back and said, Thomas, look at my hands. Put your, put your hand into my side. And God loves you and I enough that he hasn't left us without a witness to build our faith here on earth. First of all, he's given us faith. But just like Thomas, he hasn't left us on our own. He's given us tools that we can use to grow our faith. Real simple. I'm going to close with this. Two things that God has given us, two, two gifts that God has given us. He gave us his word. The, the most neglected gift in the church probably is prayer followed by God's word. <laughs> the two most powerful things that God has given us. His word, reading his word will just grow your faith. If you make it a daily habit, a daily, not just a habit, a discipline. You know, there's, I think there's a difference between a habit and discipline. This is when something you're going to get up and do whether you want to or not. <laughs> if you make it a daily discipline, I'm going to spend a little time in God's word. You'll be amazed how that will grow your faith. You meditate upon God's word. That doesn't mean you just read it. You know, you read it and get it in, but you sit and think about God's word. Not emptying your mind, but filling your mind with God's word. You know who needed a lot of faith? Joshua. Can you imagine taking over from Moses? And now you've got to lead this grumbling group of people into the promised land. And you know what God says to him? He says, you shall meditate upon my word. That's how you're going to draw courage is meditating upon my word. That's going to strengthen your faith. Um, you know, listening to God's word, I truly believe. All right, third one, go read Romans 10. <laughs> I truly believe there, that the 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 the... When you hear the word of God expounded through, through a God-called preacher, that just, that just draws out your faith, strengthens your faith, and draws out your faith. I believe you can see Paul say that in Romans 10. That, that faith literally is drawn out. It comes by hearing the word of God preached. So his word is one, one thing. And, and the other thing that he's given us that's often neglected is his people giving us each other. Um, one of the greatest ways that I've found to strengthen my faith is the fellowship of the saints, being with God's people. I want you to notice this. There were ten apostles or disciples that believed, and there was one that said, I will not believe unless I see him. And the one that said, I will not believe, is the one that wasn't there when Jesus appeared. Does that make sense to you all? You got 
to show up, you got to put in the effort. You got you have to join yourself to a group of believers and say, I'm, I'm going to hang on for dear life <laughs> through the good and the bad because that is the, that's one of the means by which God has given you to strengthen your faith. All right, go read Ecclesiastes 4 <laughs> and see if we are better together or apart. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of this life. We thank you for the gift of faith, the grace that you've bestowed upon us to give us faith, to enable us to believe. We know that it was through the same power that resurrected Jesus, which resurrected our hearts, regenerated us, gave us new life, and enabled us to believe your gospel message, to lay hold on eternal life. God, I pray that you'll strengthen my faith. I pray that you'll strengthen the faith of those that are here. If there's anyone who is weak today in their faith, Lord, I, I pray that through your word, through your people, through prayer, through meditation, that you will, you will strengthen them. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, our advocate. God, I, I repent of the times that I've been weak in faith, that I've doubted. And I ask that you forgive me. Lord, open up doors of opportunity for us in Birmingham, Alabama, that we can preach the gospel, the finished work of Jesus Christ, the most freeing message known to man. God, we know you delight in sinners who repent and believe the truth. So, Lord, we ask that you would, you would send those to us here or in our daily walk that we could speak the truth of God's sovereign grace to them and that the the chains that bind so many of us uh, would be unshackled and we could live lives of freedom knowing that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for this group that's joined together today. May you bless us all this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time, give an opportunity. If there's anyone here that would like to unite with this church, uh, you can come forward and let your desire be known. I want to sing number one. Uh, 170 this morning. Let's stand and sing number 170.